With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello and welcome to episode Frank Finnegan of the Cause for Pointcast. I'm your host, Trevor Shackles. Joining me today is someone that all Senators fans should be well aware of. It's co-host of the TSN radio show, That's What She Said, and under the Twitter name Feisty, it's Shyla Anwar. Shyla, how's it going? Not too bad, not too bad. How are you? Good. Um, so you you uh, you rushed home to get on this podcast after work, so I really appreciate that. No worries. Yeah, it's so uh, yeah, really so glad to I... get you on. Sorry, what's that? Oh, no problem. Yeah, <laughs> so really glad to get you on, especially since you're an experienced radio host. So hopefully you should be able to make this podcast a bit more professional. I don't um, know about ex- I don't know about experienced radio host. I'm an experienced talker. <laughs> more experienced than me, let's say that. Oh, well, okay. Yeah. <laughs> so this I'll is. I'll do my best. I'm sure it'd be fine. <laughs> so this is obviously the first episode of the Cosper Podcast where we can actually talk about real games that have been going on. Um, so that'll be nice for a change. So first of all, let's just talk about how well the team has played so far to date. They're seven and four. Um, currently, when I was writing up the topics to talk about, they were seven and three. I was sort of expecting them to be eight and three with that Buffalo game, but still seven and four is is pretty good. And I think things have gone a bit better than we expected, wouldn't you say? I think the results have been pretty good. I don't know if I'd go so far as to say that they've been playing well. It's it, yeah, that's fair. They may. Everything makes me nervous about... Well, let's be honest. I am normally always nervous about how they play. I think I was even nervous back in, you know, 06, 07 when things were going so much better than they are now. But um, it feels like, a oh, they're doing all right, but we're waiting for the other shoe to drop, right? Yeah, like... Or is that just me? No, that's not you. We'll get into this uh, a bit later, but their underlying numbers haven't been amazing and no. like seven and four is it's certainly a good record and the results are great but they have had a pretty soft schedule um yeah. somebody was pointing out the other day that if they hadn't played the canucks twice i mean they could probably be what five and six at this point so that's certainly something to take into consideration but i would i would say still like they, they haven't played amazing but considering what we thought this team was going into the season I'd say seven and four is a better start than yeah yeah I mean just because this is a team that needs to get out to a good start like they couldn't really afford to go out of the gate like I don't know five and eight or something like that well I think the reason to be optimistic is also because as much as it feels like they're not playing great at the same time these are not points that you want to throw away and and they haven't been doing that in the past they're so, if they're they've been playing kind of indifferently in October November they're also just you know getting loser pointing their way out of every week and at least they're not doing that so that's a good thing but you're right the schedule has been pretty soft 
It's going to continue to be pretty soft through the month of November. So these are important points for them to pick up because, of course, that makes such a huge difference down the line. But I don't know. I, I worry about the defense. I worry. At the same time, I, I'm kind of getting now what it is that Boucher is trying to do. And I get it. It's going to take some time because it is quite a different strategy that he's using while it's like an actual strategy that he's using which is nice so yeah (laughs) maybe maybe we'll wait for that to sort of materialize I do sort of have in the pit of my stomach this thing that's or the seed has been planted in my head that Eric Carlson's been playing great but they've changed the way all of the breakouts are they've changed the setups considerably they're having a bit of trouble on offense, and I'm wondering. I know we talked about it last year, uh, in general, in you know the Sens world or whatever Sens fandom. The idea that do we want to corral some of Eric Carlson's offensive ability, uh, or you know, do we want him to improve as a defenseman at the expense of some of the offense? And I don't know. I'm a bit on the fence now. Yeah, you make you make a lot of good points there. I I don't know if. Carlson is exactly going to be, you know, a, a lot worse offensively or something, because I still think even if you do try to quote unquote rein him in, he's probably going to get like 60, 65 points. I want more. I know. I, I want more too. I, I you mentioned the, the offenses down, uh, especially the last few games. I think it, it might be something to worry about if, cause guys like Hoffman and Stone haven't been amazing so far. Um, I think a guy like Stone, though, is pretty clearly still having lingering effects around his concussion. So I wouldn't be too worried there about like the actual systems that Boucher has. Um, But you're right. You mentioned before that talking about it it seems like Boucher does actually have a plan. The problem is, though, the centers don't really have the personnel on the back end to execute that to its fullest extent. I I, I... Yeah, no, I agree with you on yeah. that. So here we are again, year four. We're waiting for the defense to improve. Yeah, it's it's pretty ridiculous. Even <laughs> when you, you think about they, they brought in Dion Phaneuf, and that really that should have been a marquee move. But honestly, I don't even really see him as much of an improvement. He's He's been pretty bad in my eyes. $7 million a year. Yeah, yeah, God. Even if he was making like three million, I I don't think I'd we'd be talking about how, or we still would be talking about how poorly he started the year. Um, oh man, but but anyways, let's um. Overall, though, seven and four is still decent. Um, we'll we'll get into the other issues later. There's lots to talk about for sure. Right. Um, but seven and four, I'll take that. If if somebody had said before the season that they would start at 7-4, and four. I would 100% take that. Um, I mean, maybe we're conditioned because the team's been so kind of bad the last few years. The only yeah. thing that we really had to celebrate was at least they were a fun team to watch offensively. So he's maybe sacrificing a little bit of that in exchange for wins that are not quite as flashy. So maybe we also have to reorient our brains and start to think a little bit differently. Yeah, perhaps. Right? Like I, I would totally be in favor of a team that is um, scoring less but also giving up less. At yeah. the same time, though, it doesn't seem like they're really limiting scoring chances overall. It it looks like they've been limiting 
quality scoring chances, which is good. Um, yeah. But like raw shot totals and shot against totals, or yeah, sorry, raw shot against and um, shot attempts against yeah. is pretty much the same where it was last year. So I'm a bit skeptical that uh, like Ottawa will be able to to pull this off with who they have on the defense. But it seems like Boucher at least knows what he's doing. Yeah. So that's ca- some cause for, I suppose, some mild optimism. Yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> but only mild. Yeah, my, yeah well, I, I like to use the term cautious optimism. You know? Yeah. So, I, what's that? I, know, I still think there are so many holes in the lineup. It always seems like we're on a good path in the off season, and then the season starts and you kind of sort of watch them and think, oh. We've got so much, such a long way to go. You can see how much, how big of a difference a guy like Clark MacArthur makes in the lineup. He yeah. really puts everybody into their place. Like, I I think Zach Smith has played pretty solid the past year and a bit. But if you have him on the third line instead of the second line, like, all of a sudden your team just becomes so much more deep. You don't have to rely, rely on uh, Ryan Dezingle having... Um, a really good offensive season and you know just stuff like that um but yeah with him out and and like Cody Cece and Dion Phaneuf not playing well yeah. really doesn't look great anyway let, let's move on let's uh got a lot of things to talk about this episode sure. so one of the weirder things with this team is that their advanced stats numbers are a bit different than usual so in Corsi right now uh it might have changed after last night um I don't think with, much no I mean not not them themselves but the where they rank might have changed a tiny bit. So when I looked at it, they were 29th in Corsi at 46.21%. Yeah. Benwick, they're at 21st at 48.48%, so a bit better. But then in expected goals for percentage, which I don't know how much you can rely on just yet, but they're 13th at uh, 51.37%. And they're also 23rd in PDO. So it doesn't seem like they're getting, you know, like super high shooting percentages or save percentage percentages so what do you think of these numbers then so they're a little bit maybe just mildly unlucky too i yeah like 23rd in pedo that's like that's pretty low yeah i mean it feels like you know a guy like hoffman i know he's only got what two goals now i think three but it feels like he's missed a lot of chances bobby ryan has also he's another one i mean he's always gonna He's he's not always going to have the greatest underlying numbers, but he's oh, seems to have a good shooting percentage always. And this year, I don't know, it's just not. Well, I guess he's just a streaky scorer like that. Um, I'm hoping that Brassard, once he gets sort of up to where he's capable of playing, maybe we'll see a bit of an improvement. But maybe they are a little bit unlucky. I don't know. Yeah. So like. That that's certainly plausible, and the first few games definitely submarine their save percentage. Uh, they've been slowly yeah. climbing back now with a few shutouts and one goal games and such. Do you think though that long term this this team can actually be a decent possession team? Because twenty ninth in Corsi, I mean that's I didn't look up what their number was last year. Um, this year it's forty six point two one percent, which is is not great. No, but but that's that's where I see the difference with Carlson again. It's that yeah. element of. I mean, he's such a driver of the offense, and so uh, cutting him back is going to cost the team 
a certain percentage of goals, right? I mean, the entire offense basically ran out of, uh, ran through him last year. So if they're making that adjustment, the, that slack has to be picked up elsewhere. And I think the idea that Boucher has long term, because his thing is about um, the defenseman carrying the puck up, the forwards sort of hanging back. And I think it's just a question of the players, especially the forwards, figuring out exactly where they're supposed to be and what they're supposed to be doing, it's going to be a work in progress, right? The biggest, the biggest problem I think that they have is that mobility that they need on the defense in order to be able to pull that off. They just, you know, Feneff does not look great out there. Yeah. I, I certainly see the biggest problem with this team being the second pairing. Um, you mentioned though, that pick somebody else has got to pick up the slack you know, for as much crap as they give Mark Borvietsky, he's he's played decent. Like he hasn't been amazing, but him and Chris Weidman, they both have positive possession numbers. Um, even the eye test, like they've been totally passable besides maybe um the first few games there. So I really just see the big black hole as the the second pair, yeah. Fanoff CC. Yeah. Um a couple other forwards have been really struggling as well. I know, I know Tom Pyatt has a few points, and he, he's looked impressive, but last I checked, I think his, I think his possession numbers were like 42% or something. Not great. Yeah, he, he doesn't um, touch the puck a whole lot. Yeah, but it, it's strange. Like, you watch him, and... He seems really like a like he's got a pretty good hockey sense. Yeah, yeah. He doesn't seem to be out of position a lot, but he doesn't touch the puck a lot either. So I guess that's why his numbers are down. I don't know. I mean, I'm... I'm neither here nor there about stats, but I go to a lot of uh, live games. So I have, I mean, the eye test is, <laughs> is what I use. Yeah, right? exactly. <laughs> I don't discount the numbers, but it's interesting, <clears throat> excuse me, to watch games. And then you go home and check some of the charts and things and you think, hmm, that's not entirely how I saw the game, but it does make sense on the score sheet sort of thing. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, that makes sense. And like, I mean, I, I see the thing with Bor Borievsky, I always think is when I don't notice him, that means he's doing all right. And I yeah, really haven't sure. noticed him very much. Like he's not badly out of position. He seems to be, so, you know, maybe he's again, one of the people that's benefiting from some kind of a, a structure that's, that's being implemented by Guy Boucher. I, I just, uh, I, I don't know that that's a long-term, I don't know, I don't know. I mean, Boucher said all summer he's not a defensive coach and and all that is a bit of his history with Tampa of being like a, a, a super defensive coach um, and not having, you know, hugely offensive teams was is a bit of a misnomer, but watching them play so far it is, it's sort of bearing out that way, yeah. right? <laughs> so, so what do you do as a sense fan? Or, uh, we should be happy with the wins and not feel nervous about the fact that it feels some games like they're barely eking it out. Yeah, it it doesn't feel totally different um, from years past. And I will just mention one thing that when we are talking about these possession numbers, and I was mentioning, you know, Pyatt's um, poor possession numbers. It's been eleven games, so yeah. we can't Small we can't make size. conclusions about anything. No, but no. I mean, but at the same time, it's not insignificant. Like, it's 
11 games is meaningful, but we really can't make conclusions. So I really, man, like if Ottawa, if they keep playing at a decent clip and they're, you know, in that third spot in the division or like at least in a playoff spot, but they're, you know, still a bottom five possession team. I, I don't know how much I can buy in on them, um, yeah. but they, it is 11 games. So I'll, I'll give it some time. They they feel like a little bit like the Calgary Flames from a couple years ago, I right. guess, right? Yeah. A little bit. Um, so goaltending is going to be a key factor and that's such a tough situation right now. Yeah, it, it's... um. Whenever Ottawa's been a good team, they've had really strong goaltending from Anderson. So yeah, um, whether it's from Anderson or Condon or, or Hammond, Drieger, I mean, God, they got like five goalies now. Um, yeah, they're they're gonna have to have someone play solid goaltending this season if they they want to have a chance. And it, it's been a lot better the last last few games, so that's a good sign. Yeah. Um. So on Thursday, Thomas Shabbat was officially sent back to the QMJHL after mm-hmm. playing just seven minutes of ice time as their seventh defenseman. Um, so I talked a lot about why I disagree with the move, but it seems like I'm apparently the minority there. Um, what were your thoughts on sending him back so soon? Well, I mean, I don't get in, in the, I don't get why they kept him to be honest with you. If that was the plan. I mean, I, right. if they were keeping him up for the nine game tryout, and playing him and then just made a decision conscious decision to send him back that's fine and we could talk about it but what was he assessed on like as a fan I missed that one game where he played seven minutes so I actually haven't seen him play this year at all so I don't know what to say about what is it that they saw in him in practice, I guess that made them think, okay, he's not quite ready. Now, I could, I would get it if some of it might be, you know, maybe physically he's he he's needs to be, you know, a, a grown adult male person to be able to withstand a long NHL season. So maybe he's better off in in playing in junior. But why did they keep him at all? Then it does. It's a bit odd. Yeah, but that's exactly my thoughts. Like I. I still believe he could have made a contribution to the team this season um, just because I ultimately I think he has a much higher ceiling than Borvietsky. But I agree with the first part uh, with what you were saying is that like if they didn't think he he wasn't good enough to play in these nine games, like why keep him around for this yeah. long anyway? Like why not just give that spot to Kleisen right away? Um, yeah. And like I was, I'm not even asking for them to – keep him here the entire season i i I just kept saying just give him nine games that's all i just want to see what he looks like exactly like seven minutes that's nothing and i saw people saying like oh like you can't you can't mess with a lineup you can't take uh borvietsky out because he's playing too well and counterpoint counterpoint to that is he man last year people were calling for his head every single game and rightfully so because he honestly he was brutal last season and all of a sudden now just 11 games changes things that all of a sudden you can't take him out of the lineup i'm sorry he's he's a third pairing defenseman he can live with missing a few games here and there yeah that's a ridiculous kind of an argument to make i mean i i would find it hard to believe that he couldn't be better than him certainly as a puck mover a puck playing defenseman he's got to be better and if he isn't then that doesn't bode well for the future for the Ottawa Senators. (laughs) But so it's a bit of a incomprehensible move, but you know, this is a team where that historically has 
done this type of weird thing over and over again. So I don't know what the backstory is behind that. The only thing I can think of is they thought he wouldn't be able to physically withstand um, a season. Certainly Perhaps, would yeah. be fair enough, but why not? I, I remember when Carlson, when he he did his 10-game tryout, he was a teeny tiny little thing, right? Physically, he was not yet fully grown. He was very slight, small. He was already small when he was drafted. So, you know, there was some some thought to, behind the idea of he needs to sort of grow into his body, but we're going to give him a test. But he played when he was up for the, I think back then it was 10 games. And he was, you know, you got the flashes of, what he's capable of doing and uh then i think they brought him back in the playoffs and um and then of course the next year he made the team so again like i don't quite get it <laughs> i don't understand I, yeah it. honestly i mean just i really wonder what's gonna happen if because you know at some point in the season one of the defensemen is gonna get injured or um Borvieskin or Weidman or someone like that is going to start to struggle. And then I really wonder if they're going to wish that Shabbat was still here. Yeah. Just because long-term, this guy is exactly what they need. They need another puck mover back there. So at least, at least for next season, I hope they have him penciled in that lineup just because he, he deserves it. I mean, unless they go out and make a big move. The only other thing I could think of is, is there some kind of deal they were working on that somehow fell through and that yeah, had an effect? I, I don't know. I don't know. It, uh, it, it, it just, it, it's not like the end of the world or anything, but it just definitely made my head. I mean, I was just scratching my head. So Well, especially because at the start of the season, Boucher made a big deal out of saying, oh, some nights I'm going to dress seven defensemen and yeah, then proceeded yeah. to and never, never do. Well, <laughs> he did that once. He did it that one time and yeah. then barely played him. So you know, once again, the speaking out of both sides of your mouths is uh, something that they're they've done before. Yeah. So that leads me to believe there has to be a backstory that we just don't know. Yeah, and I I sort of hope there is because then that would that would make more sense than uh than just maybe was Shabbat one of the ones that was late for the team meeting that day? I don't think so. I no, I don't think him. so. Although I know I they know, called him out he's... in a. Uh training camp in or no what is it called like the development camp camp or whatever in yeah uh, for being kind of lackadaisical yeah all right well um i don't know i mean i've talked a lot about it on twitter and i it it was funny like i my article on silver seven i was pretty much everyone (laughs) disagreed with me and i I didn't expect that so Hmm. yeah apparently oh you mean about sending him down yeah i I, like basically i was just advocating for nine games and everyone was saying no i'm fine with that so i guess i mean it's hard to it's hard to find a reason to (coughs) to say oh you have to keep him when nobody's nobody got a chance to see him play so he kind of feels like that guy that we know about but have never seen i guess i don't know Uh, oh well let's move on so uh, we sort of touched on this a bit but so we obviously still have a long way to go in the year um but do you think your the perception or your perception of the team has changed so far just in the 11 games? I'm from the start of the year? Yeah. I think I was pretty pessimistic at the start of the year. I'm kind of feeling a little bit I I I don't know yet how I feel. I don't hate this team so far, which is good. That's good. <laughs> Usually I go through, you know, it's a it's a long season, so I go up and down, but I'm feeling fairly uh, fairly good about 
I think what I like about the team is that it's the first time in a long time where it feels like there's a little bit of a long-term plan, whether or not they say that. I mean, out loud, they talk about, you know, win now, which is just a ridiculous notion with the lineup that they have to, to, to have that kind of a, to make that kind of a statement. I mean, we're, we're not competitive with the top teams in our conference, certainly even in our division for that matter. So it's it's a bit much a bit rich i think to be talking about the senators as a win now team yeah but it seems like as maybe they say that to sell tickets or whatever but it uh the the it feels like there's a project underway it's it's the first time i felt like that since the jacques martin days when he came in you know this was a directionless team completely and when he arrived along with Pierre Gauthier, everything sort of changed for the Senators. And finally, for the first time, there was there was not only a system put in place for how the team was going to play, but it felt like, you know, we're not going to we're not going to fix this in one month. We need a whole season to get our act together. And it kind of feels a little bit like that. So that feels positive to me. But I don't know. I don't know what the outcome will be. I still think that the fundamental problem is with um, too, the, too many holes in the lineup. And until they address that, it's all fine and good. And, and you know, some of those lineup things, maybe it is in, in those early days for the Senators, it was waiting for draft picks to mature and make the team and, and the team just naturally improved as a result. So if that's where we're at, and so we're waiting for guys like Shabbat and Colin White and and Dolan and you know Brown for these kids to to come in and be sort of la relève, uh, okay, but that's a different message than win now. Yeah, I I think the team this year, it's plausible to see them make the playoffs. Um, certainly, certainly, like we were talking about before, they haven't played amazing so far, but. Seven and four is a it's a decent is a good enough start to make me believe that they can make the playoffs. I don't think they'll go far. Like they there's there's a chance they might win around, but that's about yeah. it. But well, yeah. Then the East being, I wouldn't say completely weak, but there's a yeah. lot of there's a lot of teams they could compete with for sort of that right, but not wild the West. card to lower end. But they'll get killed as soon yeah, as they exactly. face a a team a solid team a well like you know they can't compete with Tampa or Pittsburgh or whatever no. but i mean it's certainly <laughs> i am optimistic about having Boucher at the helm like I, it does seem like he knows what he's doing he's very meticulous yeah um so that's a lot better than than previous coaches and you were mentioning the young prospects that we have it it does seem like they're really waiting on the 2017-18 team. Right. I, I feel like that'll be the first time in God, like probably like five years that it'll be a different team because yeah. I think guys, not all of these guys will make it, but, you know, Francis Perron is right on the edge. He's in the minors right now. Shabbat will probably make the team and I White probably will. I don't even know, but it, it seems like there's no spots for these guys, but you'd think like maybe three of those guys will. And I don't know if they'll have money to add more guys, but at least it'll be a different team. So there is some hope for next season. This season, I don't see them as 
like any different than in years past. Um, although if they do get Clark MacArthur back at some point this year, I think they could definitely be a good enough playoff team, but like they won't make a run like we were saying. No. And I mean, you know, next year and the years beyond the next question mark becomes something like goaltending, right? Because yeah. Craig Anderson is 35 now and, you know, there's, there's a shelf life on, on goaltenders for sure. And he's, he's, I think at a point where he's exceeding expectations for a goaltender that's over 30 years old. So, you know, we wait and hope for the best, <laughs> but, Pretty but much. like two years from now, is he still going to be an effective goaltender in the league? Certainly he's at a point in his career, I think where we need to think about having um, like a, a really effective backup. So maybe this circumstance that brought Condon to the team helps um, in that respect, because he's probably a decent backup. But uh, is he a number one goaltender? I don't think so. Yeah, you, you sort of really have to hope that uh, one of the guys like Drieger, O'Connor, Marcus Hogberg, or uh, God, I always forget if it's either Joel or Joey Decord. Can't remember either one. Um, prospect they drafted in 2015. One of those four guys, they really got to hope that they turn into a starting goaltender because I don't know. I like Hammond is more of a back backup. So is Condon. So unless they draft some some goalie high in the next round or sorry in the next draft or two it's probably going to be one of those four guys that they have to rely on unless they go the trade route yeah so definitely goaltending is goaltending and defense are going to be the two areas where they're going to have to or they might have to look outside the organization for some help um, I think, I mean, I just, I don't under, I know defensemen don't grow on trees, but I just, I'm mystified as to how they thought this, uh, I, I, if Dion Phaneuf, after waiting so many years for them to upgrade the defense, if Phaneuf is what they did to upgrade, like, I have concerns, put it that way. Oh, man, I, the more I think about that deal every day, the more, just, the more I hate it. It's it's a disaster, uh, right? Yeah. Because when uh, aging and long and all that stuff is one thing and and his ability is really sort of somewhat limited, I would say, whether it's by age or, you know, years of playing for the Leafs, whatever. But the contract, it, it's just going to be such a huge handcuff. Yeah, and right? like, how many years left does he have in that contract? It's I want to say five? it's like four years. Yeah, that's yeah, that's kind of insane. Um, it makes no sense that there were no dollars kept. There must be something. That, yeah, and just the fact that, <laughs> man, it seems like the Senators just throw away second-round picks like it's nothing. They give, they've <laughs> given up two in the last, what, since February. Um, Cons- considering how much time was put in, to greening and well greening in particular i mean yeah. we would have been done with him after this year right yeah might as true. well have just kept him uh cowan is another story but it looks like his nhl career is not in great shape yeah. because of injuries so that you know i don't know what'll happen there but it seems like taking on Fenus contract now as happy as i was that they 
were able to get rid of the other two contracts. It seems like such a heavy burden <laughs> yeah, it to really take is. on to, it, the, to a team where, as you know, uh, money is important. Yeah, it, they pretty much just consolidated three bad contracts into one bad contract. That's yeah. actually probably worse long term. Um, but anyway, let, let's move on to another defenseman that we aren't particularly fond of. And we touched on Borvietsky uh, a few minutes ago. So he's he's been decent, like we were talking about, and it's a Mark really Borievsky small... and Chris Neal leading the team. God, wow, <laughs> what world is this? Yeah. Um, so it, like it's a small sample, obviously, but do you think it's possible that Boucher can actually fix him, and like you think he can actually be a decent third pairing guy? I think Boucher fixes the team, and the net result of that is Borievsky doesn't look nearly as dangerous or out of position as he might have before that's fair so i i i mean he didn't suddenly become at a certain point a hockey player is what they are like they don't radically improve after they've been in the league for two three years right right? which is why they are which is why like bringing in boucher like you can only do so much he can only do he can only help the team um with sorry i'm wording this poorly (laughs) <laughs> he obviously doesn't have the best personnel, so he can be the best coach in the world, but he isn't going to make a mediocre team amazing. He might make a mediocre team good. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's essentially what I'm thinking. I mean, you look at Babcock in Toronto. He's With Babcock, there's no uh, question about his credentials. Everybody knows he's a good coach but his lineup is what it is and there's only so much you can do, right? The, the, with the Leafs, it's different because that was a intention. That was their intention all along with bringing him in and, and creating, you know, basically building from the bottom up. And as much as the senators didn't say it out loud and is that what they're trying to do here with Boucher? They, they haven't really broken down the lineup quite like Toronto did. Right. So maybe you don't have to go quite that far, but uh, there, again, I just, I don't get the the FNIF thing. Everything makes sense until you factor in that deal. And I don't know. Everything in this episode is just going to keep coming back to the FNIF deal then. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Well, it, it is like this weird, I mean, even remember the day it happened, it was like the most ridiculous thing to hear that the senators have made a trade today completely unexpected and of all things Dion Phaneuf like how do you I still don't completely believe that it happened you know every so often I'll just notice him on the ice and think how did this how did this happen how did Dion Phaneuf of all people become an Ottawa senator yeah and I mean he said all the right things and all that and he seemed to sort of settle down some of the kids when he came in last year but he just doesn't look great on the ice is the problem. And it's early in the season, new coach, new system. He's also, you know, they're, they've made a project out of him and Cece, who's also equally <laughs> troubled and going in all different directions. So maybe we give them a bit of time to get used to whatever this new system is and used to each other and see what happens. But he's got a, he's, if he wants to keep up with Boucher's speed, 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 pace, 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 I don't know. I don't think he can. He's going to have to modify his game. So I'll just 
title this episode 60 minutes of critiquing Dion Phaneuf. <laughs> I feel bad now. Uh, I mean, yeah, you're right. It, it was funny. It's funny. I, I woke up to the news. Um, just tons of tweets and like people in conversations and stuff uh, on Twitter just freaking out. And I was really yeah. confused. I didn't know what happened. And because I don't know what time the deal actually went down, but out on the West Coast, like, I don't know, I woke up like eight or something and Yeah, it was it was around lunchtime. Okay. If yeah. I recall. Okay, yeah. So or yeah, maybe it was just slightly strange. after. <laughs> but um yeah, at least going back to Borvieski for one sec, um I, I'm not entirely confident that he can be like a competent defenseman, but no. I'm not gonna say like I'm not gonna wish that he does poorly because it has been it's been great that he's he's doing well like that's exactly what Ottawa needs in the past the third pairing has been really their Achilles heel although now it's the second pairing that's their Achilles heel so it'll take a huge burden off the team if Borvieski and Weidman uh, I see Weidman as a much better player but nevertheless I see both of them as playing pretty well so far so hopefully that can continue um yeah, and uh, I don't think we have anything. Actually, oh, no, we do have, I think, another Dion Funov point in the episode. Maybe we'll skip that. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> so one of the things, or of all the things we've talked about so far, they're all about on-ice things. But the most important thing surrounding the Senators right now is Nicole Anderson's fight against cancer. Yeah. And, of course, we all know that Craig is missing some time with the team to spend uh, to, to spend time with his family, and he's missed a few games. And it's totally understandable for him to to do that. Uh, I just got to say that watching Anderson come out of the tunnel as he's being announced as the first star was just absolutely incredible because it you really amazing. don't see such raw emotion no. from a player that that often. And... No, and we talked about it last week on on our last episode of That's What She Said for an right. early season Sunday night. Ottawa Edmonton game I mean I was on the edge of my seat in that third period just basically praying oh god don't let them score and let this moment happen and and it's probably the first time I felt like actually like some serious stress slash emotion whatever about a Sens game probably for two years I mean maybe going back to the last time they made the playoffs against uh, Montreal in 2013 it was, uh, and you know, he's a pretty stoic kind of a guy, right? Like he, yeah. he's all, he always seems very straight laced and, um, he doesn't sort of exude a lot of outgoing personality tendencies or whatever when, when he's interviewed or whatever, he's pretty sort of cliche guy or whatever. So to see him show that kind of emotion, I mean, it must've been, you know, I can't imagine being in his shoes and it was, uh an unbelievable performance and kind of a, you know, it's funny. I have a, I have a colleague at work who's going through cancer treatments right now and um, it sort of happened really suddenly and it's at a very advanced stage and you just don't know what to say or do or whatever. And her thing is, I don't want to talk about it and I want to work and, you know, I want to be at work every day and when I can and, when I'm here, I'm here to work and I, I want to feel normal and I don't want to talk about it. And, you know, whatever works for everybody's different. And if that's the way that, you know, makes you feel normal is to have your regular routine as much as possible and, 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 uh, you know, 
do your best that way, then that's, that's what everyone should do and support and make it as easy as possible, I guess, for him and his family. Yeah, like, just just getting back to the game for a second. I mean, it was, it was incredible to watch. And I think most Senators fans would admit that they got a bit teary eyed when, when oh, they saw yeah. that, that video or that gif of Anderson coming out. Yeah. And it must be incredibly hard for Anderson, but also the the players themselves. Just like you you were saying, you don't know what to say to the person, and yeah. I the players must feel the same way. Like they don't know what to say to Craig, and um, it it's certainly just it's hovering over the team, and like as as much as they they might not want to admit it, it's it's always going to be there, and hopefully they're just there to support Craig, and um, I would anticipate him to miss some more time moving forward, and I hope everybody's supportive of that because. Oh That's, yeah, I mean, I, I can't imagine. Important. I can't imagine people not being supportive. No. So, um, certainly wish all the best to the Anderson family, and uh, hopefully Craig doesn't feel forced to come back with the team at any point. Oh, I, I can't imagine that. You know, I mean, hockey is hockey, but real life is exactly is the thing, right? And. And I think that's the the what resonates the most with everybody as far as that game goes is you know you get mad at players and you say things about them and and you get pissed off because they make a bad play or let in a bad goal but and you know even with opponents they you hate your opponent that kind of thing but then when it comes to like a really serious real life situation we saw it in that game with Cam Talbot coming out to. You know he's a losing, but he was a losing goalie in that game, and yeah. he came out to applaud him, and it shows too that you know everybody understood the significance of of that performance by Anderson, and and sort of the larger context of of uh, what he and his family are going through. I find it um, really interesting that whenever there's a situation like this, there's some sort of tragic event. It seems like things always at least in the sports world like on the field on the ice things in the sports world always seem to work out well like if you go back to after jose fernandez's tragic death uh on the miami marlins that d gordon home run right after on the uh lead off the game in the next game he was like his best friend gordon had i don't think he had hit a homer the, the entire season and like that was just incredibly emotional and they they won the game just incredible like that was that was an amazing moment and the same thing happened with anderson like that's you couldn't have asked for a better moment and it it just seems like a lot of times sports i don't know not not every single time but it seems like there's a lot of really nice moments like that i think you know emotion you hear coaches tell i I want my players to play with emotion and whatever and a lot of it becomes sort of manufactured emotion so it's fake motivations and and for very sort of under false pretenses type of thing where you try to create some kind of a thing that makes you harness that energy and this was a case where you didn't need to manufacture the emotion it was just there and you know people have humans have the ability to absolutely elevate in those types of situations and this was a great example of that and there's no way to sort of fake it right yeah like I, you just kind of knew that it was gonna at a certain point you're like it's it's got to be a win it's got to be a shutout it just has to be that way I, I definitely buy that the fact that you can just elevate your game um 
yeah it nothing really else more to say than it's just incredible and uh yeah like i said before wish wish all the best to the anderson family and um hopefully nicole gets uh gets um god what's the word remission bill of health yeah clean bill of health okay there you go (laughs) (laughs) so moving on to things that don't matter as much about life um so what do you think the team the senators need to improve on moving forward we probably touched on a few of them already yeah i mean defense for sure it'd be nice to see a little bit more balance in the scoring the thing about carlson i think it's early enough that i am not terribly concerned but I don't know. I'm I I would say there's a touch of concern setting in there, but I think he'll be okay cuz he seems to be playing really really well to me. So he he's just not getting sort of those well, I guess the team's not getting uh they're not sort of offensively on fire in any way shape or form, so as a result, he's not getting a lot of points either. I'm guessing, I don't know. Yeah, I, I I wouldn't be worried about Carlson. Like, out of ed- anything to worry about at any given point, I'd say he's the thing to least worry about. Unless he's, I'm has... not I'm not worried about him. But like you yeah. know, the other day there were people talking about, oh, he blocked a whole bunch of shots and he's killing penalties. And I'm thinking, okay, that's all good, but is that the be- again? Is that the best use of Eric Carlson's skill? I don't want him right. blocking shots. And that that's why he didn't kill penalties in the past. Yeah, but at the same time, he's. He's been a really proficient penalty killer. I think he, it was over, I can't remember. It was either the last three seasons or the last four seasons. He was, uh, I think, second amongst defensemen in uh, limiting shot attempts on the yeah. penalty kill. So he's certainly talented at it. Um, but yeah, well, you're right. Well, like, you know, that would, that would be my argument. They The penalty kill has improved dramatically this season and lo and behold it's because they put eric carlson on the penalty exactly yeah not having goes hand in hand right yeah (laughs) i i'd say one of the other things to worry about is um protecting leads and it's it's good that they have had leads to protect to begin with right um but there's been a few games like that vancouver game they just they could not get out of their own zone and Vancouver is a terrible team and they had, <laughs> they just owned the senators in the third period. Yeah. Um, and like score effects and all that stuff. And like, whenever you're winning, you're most likely going to get, you're not going to win the, the shot battle anyway, but right. the way they've been doing it, they have just been getting killed whenever they're winning, especially late in the game. So, I think that's definitely something they got to improve on. Yeah, they were having also, you know, much like the Paul McLean senators and the Dave Cameron senators, those, you know, they always seem to have one period where the bottom falls out of the team and you're kind of thinking, okay, what just happened there, you know? And it's, there's no consistency. Sometimes it's the third period, sometimes it's the it's the first period sometimes it's the second period but there's always one 20 minute spell where it's like they can't buy a, even a shot on goal that's that's and really it, true it's i been mean been saved by uh goaltending on more than a few occasions this year i mean that's part of why uh you know when you asked how are you feeling about the senators eh, not great like it's it's stuff like that that sticks with you that oh okay they won the game but what about that second period where they had two shots on goal and gave up you know 14 or whatever yeah well it was like that game against the hurricanes they were just 
got murdered in the first period and then the yeah. rest 45 or 40, right. whatever 40 plus they played pretty well so yeah um yeah they haven't had a ton of full 60 game uh sorry 60 minute efforts um but it, it is good at least if you want to take some silver lining out of it is if they are having two periods out of three or two good periods out of three that's better than zero or one that's right so yeah. um that's that's something cautiously optimistic like you said. yeah exactly so they if they can just i don't know how they can really improve the improve the defense by just keeping the same guys in the lineup but i think they can definitely improve on at least protecting leads and having a more complete game effort but yeah besides besides that it's pretty much same old same old same thing as this last year yeah so schedule for ottawa has been pretty soft as we were saying Two games against Canucks, as well as games against the Flames, Hurricanes, Coyotes, Leafs, and the Sabres. Uh, seven of those, seven of the eleven games so far have also been at home. Yeah. So looking forward in November, it's not incredibly hard, but it's it's harder than uh, what they've had. So they play the Predators twice, who have not played well so far, but are still a pretty good team. Uh, the Kings, Panthers, Canadians, Wild, and Flyers. And then December gets even harder progressively. Uh, they have games against the Blackhawks, the Ducks twice, Penguins, Sharks twice, Kings, Panthers, and Rangers. Um, so don't forget, don't forget the big game, the Alfie retirement night. Of course, how could you forget that? That's I, I don't, be... I don't see the Wings as a good team anymore, though. <laughs> well, but uh, the way my brother and I were talking about it, because of course we're super excited about that game, and. Uh, as with all games that involve big ceremonies for the senators, um, everything will happen before the game even starts, and then the game itself is going to be terrible. And yeah, pretty lose. much. I, I mean, I can almost guarantee it, but that's you know, that's just the way it goes. Yeah. Um, well, anyway, the, the question I, I had for this though is, mm-hmm. um, like, do you think they'll be up for it? Do you think? the seven and four start is sort of just because of the schedule or do you think they can actually be sort of on this pace or close to this pace in December or like at the end of December after this hard part of the schedule? I think the thing that'll help the senators a lot is I expect that more often than not, they're going to be facing the other team's backup goalie. That'll help them against some of these big teams. Wait, why, why do you suppose that? Because I think there's a tendency, you know, usually, especially with uh, with teams traveling from out west, let's say, they're going to do the circuit of Toronto, Ottawa, Montreal, right? Toronto, I know, is also a weak team, but there's that sort of impression that you've got some young, offensively gifted players. So, And it's, it's you know, the center of the hockey universe. I, I just feel like that'll be one thing that will advan- be an advantage for Ottawa. That's More fa- often than not, they're going to face the backup goal. Yeah, that's fair. I never really thought about that. I remember, I think it was 2012, 2013, like the lockout season. I think that was the year they faced a ton of backup goalies. And yeah. I remember people talking about that. And that was certainly one of the reasons why they... Uh, surprisingly had a good record even without eric carlson that season um it's, it's it's such a transition overall because i mean i remember you know five six seven eight years ago that would never be the case but now it happens more often than not we see the other team's backup goalie i mean even vancouver for god's right. sakes 
Well, I mean, Can I you guess, imagine. Yeah, I, I guess that's a, a perk of teams thinking you're bad. <laughs> I yeah, I mean, I guess if it works, it works, right? Yeah. Um, I mean, could could you see could you see the team really struggling in December though? Just because, man, I was listing those listing those teams there, and it's gonna be pretty tough grind. I think November is harder just because there's a lot more games. Um, I don't know. I don't know. It's too soon to tell. I feel like the seven to four is a really soft seven to four, though. Yeah. But that... would you would you feel different though if they had won on Saturday and would have been eight and three? Because I they probably should have won that game. I don't. Yeah, but again, Vancouver. I mean, yeah. it's bad enough that they. No, sorry, I'm thinking of Thursday. Sorry, not Saturday. Sat. Well, Buffalo, not also not a very strong team. Yeah, exactly. They should. They should have won on Saturday. You're right. So that's a good example of where they let a point get away from them, and they really shouldn't have. Like they can't. They're not good enough to afford to bleed points to teams that are lower than them in the standings. So every time they do that, it makes it that much harder because that means they've got to pick up points against opponents that are a lot tougher. Yeah, for sure. I, I think if they're still good in maybe like mid-December or like end of 2016, then I think they could definitely be a playoff team. But if they're, you know, hovering around 500, um, you know, losing against these really good teams, which is is totally plausible, um, they're probably not probably not going to make it. So, I mean, this Just... is the next month bit uh let's say seven weeks the next seven weeks is really going to define this team i think well they say that a team sort of defines itself by american thanksgiving and if by then yeah it doesn't look good for the playoffs then you're not going to make up the ground uh going or very rarely do you make up the ground after that of course the there's always the years of anomalies and god knows ottawa has been that anomalous team before you know but hamburger runs don't happen every year every so often like i'll see i'll go back and look at some of those stats from that year and it's ridiculous that that happened wow god what was was his save percentage over 940 i think it, it was. was ridiculous and his his <laughs> win loss percentage was like he went through the to the end of the season um never losing in regulation like it was actually quite crazy yeah. the senators did a cool little uh video thing to ain't no mountain high enough to you know when they finally yeah, made I the think playoffs I, yeah, I saw that, yeah. and it's really funny to go back and look at it because i remember so many of those games in the run i remember going in go to a, to games thinking okay today's the day where reality hits it it's just not possible for this streak to keep going and it just did it just kept going and going and going it was crazy i miss those days that was Ugh, that was the so most fun. fun what what was it like a month and a half i yeah it was span of two weeks i was cheering for teams like columbus to win so they could yeah. so auto could go lower and then two weeks later i was you know cheering my heart out for them to beat the bruins and games like but that and remember that season they were terrible they were about and then they fired McLean, and even in the aftermath, things weren't quite sort of great. And then all the goalie injuries happened, and the Hammond situation materialized. And then here, here, uh, 
you know, then the run happened. And it was razor thin, right? Because they really couldn't afford to lose more than one or two games, and they literally only lost one or two games for that. A month that and a half. that first Bruins loss, or well, they only lost to them once. Um, in those last two games, they against the Bruins. Yeah, yeah. I thought they were done after that because it was. Oh, yeah. I think they were. Yeah, I'm pretty sure they were down seven points to the Bruins at that point, and yeah. I think they had like one game in hand. Yeah. So it's incredible. Um. Anyway, we're uh we're running pretty late here. It's been 55 minutes. Uh, I think we can wrap things up there. It's been nice, though, to finally talk about actual games that have been going on. Um, before you go, Shyla, tell the listeners what you're going to or what you're doing right now and where people people can find you online. Well, I'm on Twitter under feisty with three F's. Uh, I've been known to uh, be a little bit angry sometimes, <laughs> sad sometimes and deliriously happy other times. Don't take any of it seriously, but I kind of live and die with the ups and downs of the Ottawa Senators. And I always like to say I've been a season ticket holder for 20 years and my God, it's been hard some years. (laughs) (laughs) So you can either catch me on Twitter or at the hockey games. I'm in section 317 most nights. And we also have Michaela Schreider and I co-host a show on TSN 1200 in Ottawa called that's what she said. And we're usually on either Saturday mornings or Sunday mornings. Yeah, it's a great show, and I can uh, I can vouch for you on Twitter. You're you're a good Twitter follow. Oh, thanks. <laughs> All right, perfect. Well, uh, thanks for thanks so much for coming on the show, and uh, hopefully we can do this again sometime. Sounds good. Just to wrap things up, you can follow me on Twitter at ShackTS and find my articles and my colleagues' articles at Silver Seven Cents. Uh, the podcast is not only available on SoundCloud; you can also list, listen to it on iTunes and Stitcher. And if you like the podcast, tell a friend. Or better yet, give a nice little review on iTunes as that helps me out a lot. I'm not sure exactly when the next episode will be, but hopefully it'll be before the end of November. Thanks for listening. Adios.